Listeners, we know that many of you, like the three of us, have been overwhelmed by the graphic and devastating images out of the Middle East this week that have broken our hearts. The ongoing crisis surrounding Israel and Palestine has entered a new phase, and it sadly appears that the conflict within the region will only intensify. We at VibeCheck know that conversations related to Israel and Palestine always come with charged feelings, histories, and perspectives, and social media this week has been proof of that. But today, as we continue to monitor the situation and figure out how to cover it here on VibeCheck, we want to hold space for the pain that so many families are dealing with due to the events over the weekend and the past 75 years. And we want to let each of you know that we love you and that our thoughts are with each and every one of you. Chicas, senoritas. <laughs> Hola. Bon dia. Bon dia. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Stafford. And you're listening to Vibe Check. What a week. So many vibes. So much to talk about. Great show for y'all this week. It's National Coming Out Day. Hey. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Nice to meet you. Hello. (laughs) This week, we're going to talk about how the act of coming out has changed over time. And then later, we will talk about someone who has got the exact opposite energy of all those warm, fuzzy feelings. Drake. He's out with a new album. It's called For All the Dogs, which, fitting... And um, mm-hmm. we've got to talk about Drake doing what he does really well, which is kind of being a brat and a misogynist. We'll talk about what's going on with Drake and what it says about the culture right now. But before all of that, as we always do, got to start out seeing how my sisters are feeling, how our vibes are. Zach, what's your vibe right now this week? I'm, you know, all over the place. Beyond that, I'm great. Last night... I got to see a concert I've been waiting for all year, and that was the Jesse Ware concert. You went. Oh my god! A friend hit me up and was like, "You want some tickets?" But I was busy. Was it good? It was great. A lot of people, I think, had tickets and didn't go because <gasps> the venue wasn't very full. Oh, what venue <laughs> you was it? That out. What it venue? was at the Palladium in Hollywood. Poor thing. Which is a beautiful, yeah. beautiful venue. I saw Robin there a few years ago when uh, she did Honey, and it was like life changing. Oh, yeah. I love uh, that album. But she yeah. was there. You know, it wasn't a full house. She has another show tonight as Mm -hmm. we're taping so hopefully tonight will be busier but she's wonderful live she sings like she sounds on the record it was just a really phenomenal show but what i do have to say is i have a note for our sisters that are going to the jesse Ware show or any dance show these days and that is if you went to the beyonce Knowles carter show and you bought that silver outfit for that show and you wore it there and took the photos you don't have to recycle it uh, for every other day uh, show because we uh, looked around. Why are you around. so mean? Wow. It just makes so no mean. sense to well, wear Well, isn't, isn't Jessie Ware also hat. disco? Okay, maybe the cowboy She's hats disco. are the, the, she I made, saw so she, many silver cowboy hats. She makes disco hats. albums, though. Jessie Ware makes disco albums. <laughs> Jessie Ware is from South London. Why are y'all wearing cowboy hats? Look, people spent a lot of money on those. They did. Also, you know, as I, I'm being like, I'm, I'm making a joke because I was proud to see, uh, you know, people recycling, you know, in a moment in which fast It's called an aesthetic crossover, Zach. Yeah, it's, it's really something. Well, Beyonce's reach has really gone far because it's reached uh, into South that's... London disco music. But um, it was fun to be dancing. I feel like people are now dancing more at shows post-Beyonce. I think we can like measure 
concerts pre-Beyonce, post-Beyonce. Post-Beyonce people are more alive in their body. So it was nice. But it was just like a, I was there and I looked around. I was like, why do I feel like I'm in Club Renaissance? Judgy like, Caddy oh, mean. <laughs> Wow. Let people wow. wear their clothes. Let uh, people wear their clothes. Wow. Fine, 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 fine. You win this. But it just, I had to bring it up because it's the first show I've really been to since. Wait, Zach, you gave me one of the silver tops I wore to one of the Beyonce shows. Am I allowed to wear it again ever? Because I still have it. You can wear it. He's going to wear it to your you. wedding. <laughs> Listen, uh, but that's my vibe. I guess I'm I'm being judgy today with love. And, you know, I'll probably regret it tomorrow. But today I'm feeling feeling that type of way. We accept it. We accept it. Saeed, what's your vibe? Uh, my vibe is cute, comfortable, cozy. It yes. is like 60 degrees here. The leaves are starting to change in Ohio. And so it just feels very autumnal. Over the weekend, I got to do an author talk at at the Columbus Metropolitan Library. You stay really author talk and downtown. I love it. I stay author I talk and I'm an do. author and I love to talk. <laughs> I love to talk. And if I get paid for it, <laughs> hey. bam. Hello. Bam. It was really fun. And but also, yeah, I haven't gotten to do an event in Columbus in a minute. And so it's really fun when friends neighbors the girls the gals can like come out and like come see me and so that was cool but also a lot of vibe check listeners came that's awesome some of them gave fan mail i think it's misha misha thank you for misha gave us like a postcard and a letter out oh that's really that's so nice i'll like send screenshots to the group text i guess to show you but also some other folks were there and they gave me a snickers bar (laughs) (laughs) just imagine you're like Signing copies of Alive at the End of the World, and then you see someone approaching you with a Snickers bar. And just like the way before they, before they even said anything, the way I just started laughing, and then they're <laughs> laughing, and the woman was like, look, I tried to find a king-size bar. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, Stop. So like my now my laughter is like echoing throughout this beautiful oh, library. My. And she was like, it seems like they don't actually make king size bars. They make <laughs> share sized Snickers. Share sized bars. <laughs> it just Not got funnier an- and funnier. My, 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 um, my, my, so, my, my. So that was <laughs> That was just so fun. Thank you to everyone who came out to the event, especially the Vibe Check girls. Thank you for your notes and your love. So that's my vibe. (laughs) Those stickers. Here's what I'll say is I think the thing I enjoy about autumn, about when it starts, is I feel this pull inward. I feel this Mm. sense of, as for me and my house. Um, And and I, I enjoy I enjoyed summer. It's been fun to be mm-hmm. out and about and all over. And But it's also nice to, like, value the interior, the privacy, yeah. and just, yeah. like, this is where I am. You know, I'm yeah. here. I'm here with my neighbors. I'm here yeah. with my girls. I'm actually going to D.C. this weekend to celebrate a neighbor's birthday. You know what I mean? Like, love, love. Love it. That's the vibe. We're cozy. We're comfortable with our people. Sam, how are you? I mean, right now my vibe is I'm so grateful for public services like trash pickup because the trash man is coming by right I now. I didn't know what. <laughs> That's what I was looking at. I, 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 it's always like, oh, I like that my taxes are paying for that. Okay. Sanitation. I mean, I thought it. that was a metaphor for a second. Yeah. No, you were Where like, we I got some people I need to get rid of. Oh, no, okay. Garbage truck coming by. Okay. We love a social yeah. service. We love what, a social wait, service. Wait, can, can I say something? Yes. I, I can't believe I'm saying this on the show. I realized lately that my recycling guy, because I see him at like the Starbucks, I saw him at the CVS, but the guy that drives a recycling truck, fine. 
fine Yo. for no reason. <laughs> it is wild. And I like stop every time and I just got to take a moment. Have you and said just, hello? Like, Thank you. Not yet. I'm working up the nerve. But it's just, it was like shocking. Because when I first saw him, I thought he worked at the Starbucks because he looked very like hipstery Starbucks-y guy. And then I saw him at the CVS. I was like, wait, no, he doesn't work here. He and he works for the city. Recycling guy. Mm. He works for the city. Okay. Come on tax dollars. So anyway, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and look, people here, my neighbors, y'all know exactly who I'm talking about. Our neighborhood post- Man, that brother, he's a cat daddy. He is so... I haven't heard cat daddy in a while. When he finally saw me enough that I started to get like, it's always the what's up. Ooh, shivers! I I guess I got to start going outside when the garbage people come. You do. I need to start making making Shout out to our public employees. Your blessing. That wasn't even my vibe. I just saw the truck go by. I just fully distracted. My vibe this week is trust no one. My oh, vibe is okay. trust a no pivot. one because okay. uh, Doja Cat let me down. You know, oh, I was just singing her uh, praises. Yeah. Speaking of trash. On this show and my other show into it, I was like, I love Doja. I love her energy. I love her look. I love her flow. But just a few days ago, she got in trouble because she was on Instagram posting a photo of her wearing a T-shirt featuring Sam Hyde on the front. Sam Hyde is a comedian who was affiliated with the neo-Nazi website Daily Stormer. And I want to clarify here and point out that this is really, really strange for Doja to do because she is half black and half Jewish. Mm-hmm. All this yeah. to say, I've stopped streaming her music and I'm not going to be doing so until she explains this or apologizes for it. I'm sorry for recommending her and trust no one. That's <sighs> it. Okay, so this brings a lot of thoughts. I mean, one, you know, it's interesting because he he's consistently called a comedian. Comedian Sam Hyde. That is always how I see him referred to. But his hate speech comedy. I, you know, I yeah. lightly Googled because, look, I know my FBI agents are alert and ready and on me. <laughs> okay? So I'm not trying to get too deep in there. But I looked and I was like, um, where are the jokes? Because literally when I would try to find direct quotes from his, I guess, sets, it was just things like him saying homosexuals are deviant and disgusting. Even if it was offensive, there's no punchline. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. She's, she's in it deep. And I think, oh, Doja Cat, her mother is a white Ashkenazi Jew. Her father is a black man. I can't support someone who hates themselves. Well, no. And I can't make excuses for yeah. adults. She's grown. Yeah. You know, there was well, some no, stuff when yeah, she that's was really true. young. That's true. Where it's like, oh, she was doing this, doing that. She kind of apologized for it. You're fully grown. You're fully a celebrity. You know what yeah. you're doing. You know what you're yeah. doing and no. And I think like for me, it's just like, there are many other options. I can stream yeah. other music. 1000%. And my thing, you know, I feel like today I'm going to have to answer for all of my mix brothers and sisters drink. Yeah, because what the fuck is going on? We're going to get to that. 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 But what I would say is that I think you were right, Saeed, that there is some self-hatred going on there. Mixed people, famously, we love to talk about that, that pain of being pulled between two identities and all the stuff. And in the midst of all that chaos, we become a contradiction into ourselves. And Doja Cat's acting like a contradiction because there's nothing about her lived experience that should validate her supporting a white supremacist comedian. So anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going to be calling a council meeting after the show. Nah. We're all going to get to the bottom. <laughs> you don't have to carry her water, even if you are also <laughs> Talk mixed. to your friends. So what I will say about Doja Cat is, because yeah, I, I've enjoyed her music and I've tried not to pay a lot of attention to her antics because her music's what I've liked more than Doja herself, yeah. if that makes sense. And that seemed to be what she wanted. And that's kind of what we talked about last time. But her antics, like she's doing things that are 
directing attention away from the music herself, if that makes sense. So then I'm like, okay, well, now I'm paying attention. Exactly. Now I'm learning about things like your boyfriend and exactly. all that kind of stuff. So raising questions. And I think, I don't know, for me, I, I'm going to accept, you know, it's not up to me whether or not I need to pay attention to white supremacy. I need to pay attention. And mm-hmm. it can be inconvenient. It can be perhaps embarrassing, but like it is what but it don't is. Don't ignore it. And, yeah, can't ignore and it. it's not going to wait for your schedule. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. yeah, it really sucks. It was wholly unnecessary, but I know it's not healthy and I know I don't want to participate in it. Same. 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 She is off the Spotify. I know Doji Cat will be on Hot Ones this Thursday and it will be our first test on social media. She's very clever. She's very witty. I'm sure that interview will be very fun. Don't give in. Like, if you're saying that you don't like the way the celebrity is acting, they are very good at using public appearances to kind of try to sway us. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually genuinely interested to see how that plays out in just 24 hours to see, like, if people go, oh, I have to admit she ate that or, ooh, 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 you know, like, it's hard to hate her. I'm like, we don't yeah. hate her. This is about accountability. And uh, you can do a cute interview if you want to. You're still supporting white supremacy. Listeners, before we get into this episode, I want to thank all of you, per usual, for sending us fan mail, for reaching out to us on social media. We always love to hear from you. Keep writing us. We're at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Vibecheck at stitcher.com. All right, let's jump in, shall we? Let's go. Let's do it. All right, listeners, come out, come out wherever you are. Oh, Today you planned that. that. I did, I did it. <laughs> Today is National Coming Out Day, which has been observed on October 11th every year since 1988. What's amazing about 1988 is that that was the height of the AIDS epidemic. So the state mm-hmm. began as so many people were very much dying in public and losing yeah. loved ones. And that's and interesting, right? Happening. Very different yeah, context. Yeah, very interesting. Very different yeah. context. Ever since that day, we've seen vast changes in the LGBTQ rights movement. Everything from queer people can now serve in the army, they can get married, there are more protections. You know, the AIDS epidemic looks very differently. So, you know, it's been a few decades, but things have changed really rapidly for us. And we have more representation than ever in elected offices, media, television, everything. And it makes sense because over the years, we have seen the LGBTQ population in the U.S. double in terms of people who identify. So when this day first began, we were less than 4% that would openly identify. Now we're closer to 8%, and that is only growing with Gen Z coming out as LGBTQ at higher and higher rates every year. What's interesting about this year's National Coming Out Day is we are, I would say, at the height of coming out, but we're also back at the height of a lot of violence. Many, many states around the country are passing anti-LGBTQ bills, trans youth are under severe attack, trans women are still getting murdered on an average of one every two weeks. And LGBTQ people still report today that 28% of all of us have experienced being unhoused or housing instability in our lifetime. So things are not perfect, but you know, you watch Love, Simon, it's, it feels a bit perfect. So that's what we want to talk about today. It's kind of these contradictions of, you know, we're more out than ever, but things don't feel very great. And also coming out feels very different these days for when I talk to 20-year-olds compared to us in our 30s. So, so sisters, what are we thinking? Let's start with our own coming out. Sam, how did you approach this when you were thinking of coming out as an LGBTQ member? Was it stressful for you? Oh, God, it was stressful. And it took years. I was raised in a really not progressive black evangelical church upbringing so homophobia was the bottom line you know 
And yeah. in part, that's why I left home for graduate school to kind of be free of that, to go be gay. So I didn't really start coming out in earnest until I was maybe 24. Wow. And then the process stretched over years because it's like you tell one friend, then you tell a few. And then it's like, well, I tell coworkers. And then it's like, well, will I date someone? And will I date them publicly? So I don't think I was like fully all the way out until like 30 or something. And then I don't yeah. think I talked about being gay on a microphone in my work until years after that. So my takeaway from that and my lesson from that to anyone who's listening and going through their journey is let it take as long as it needs to take. And I think we can sometimes be fooled into this idea, even with coming out day, that it's just one day and just one time. A lot of us are always coming out and a lot of us have to do it on our own schedules. And that's fine. And don't hate yourself in the midst of that. It's going to be what it's going to be. I mean, I think in hindsight, it might have been better for me to pull the bandaid off a lot more quickly. But you do what you can do where you are. So that was my journey. Yeah. That was my journey. Yeah. I have to say, Sam, I'm realizing that the first time I ever met you was I think 2015. And met you, I mean, I saw you in public at a live event for NPR and I tweeted and you tweeted me back and I was super excited. I was like, oh my God, Sam Sanders tweeted me. <sighs> and I don't know if you were out then, but I saw you on stage and I was yeah. a young journalist and I was like, I know him. Yeah. I see myself in him. Aww. And at that time, you know, marriage had just passed, I think. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't weird. I was like, okay, if he's not open about it, it's not a big deal. But that feels like we live in a very different world today. Oh, and yeah. And like ago. even in those eight years since then, so much has changed. What I find really fascinating about all of the data around coming out is a way in which Gen Z has totally changed the equation. You know, mm -hmm. when I was coming out, when we were coming out, it felt a little more written in stone, a little more categorized. You're coming out as gay, you're coming out as bi, you're coming out as a lesbian, and you kind of walked into a box. And I think so much of the energy around coming out with Gen Z is coming out into a certain kind of fluidity. Yeah, You know, there's more fluidity with gender, there's more fluidity with sexuality, and Gen Z is much more open to saying, who I am is going to be an evolving journey. And the words yeah. I use to describe myself might change over time. That feels new. And I think it's promising and good for all of us, regardless of our age or where we are on these spectrums, because that gives us more freedom too, to be who we really are. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because, I mean, one, I think that's true. That sense of fluidity, that sense of something has changed, but it could keep changing. And that mm -hmm. is natural and human. I feel like that is a way of, of communicating that I've really observed from Gen Z and I very yeah. much appreciate. Because that's the thing, even as an out queer person who may be, you know, like we're all in our 30s at this point, like we're still learning and, yeah. and, and evolving as well. Yeah. It's not static for any of us. But yeah, I, I feel like, you know, as a millennial, in some ways, I feel like I had a very millennial coming out timeline, which is to say, I think for a lot of us, the idea was strategically stay in the closet until the end of high school, until yeah. you turn 18. Until your parents weren't paying your way. That was a big right. part of it, too, for a lot right. of people. Right, so you could, one, leave your school community. These mm -hmm. peers that you had grown up with, mm -hmm. the idea was, oh, you could go to college out of state or mm -hmm. just move. And then, two, yeah, as Sam is saying, you, you know, also whatever was going on at home, you would also have distance. And I think, you know, that was just the beginning of social media. Social media wasn't something that I think we had to take into this calculus. Mm -hmm. But I think it does matter that as a lot of us were turning 18, going to college, going away, 
you know, the idea of your parents checking your Facebook or seeing a tweet about you at a drag show or Mm -hmm. you kissing a guy, like, wasn't really something in our mind. You know, it was like, maybe there might be a a game of telephone between your your mama's church friends that you might have to deal with at some point. You know, it wasn't quite the same. And so, yeah, I, I remember, I knew I was attracted to boys from a very young age. And it just felt, if not unsafe, inconvenient. I think I was aware that I would be ostracized, Mm -hmm. that I would lose opportunities. I remember Mm -hmm. being privately really convicted at one point in high school, for example. It's so funny when you're young, like things that you grow up and you're like, it wasn't that important, but at the time, it feels so important. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be National Honor Society president at my school. But it was my junior year. Yeah, it was junior year. And my feelings were getting really real. And I remember like, being like straighten up, toughen. I remember like actively trying to change my behavior in ways that I thought would make me more appealing to more people. And I won that election. I was National Honor Society president. Okay. But it's like so interesting to think that that was something privately very much on my mind, you know? Yeah. And now I want to like hug little Saeed and be yeah. like, oh baby, you know? But but it's real, you know? And, and so I'm grateful that when I see images now of, Queer kids with their parents, you know, yeah. celebrating school, pride, high school, go, and going school. to parades, you know, yeah. taking their boo to homecoming dances or prom. Yeah. I love that. It feels really different. Yeah. 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 Saeed, what I love what you just said is strategic coming out because I never thought of it that way. And that is such a big part of our teenage years. You know, I I didn't really come out till I went to college and it's because I knew I was going to leave. Like I always knew I was going to leave mm-hmm. Tennessee. I was going to run away. And then once I was gone... I could then start speaking about it. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, I yeah, faced bullying and all this stuff, but it was never, my life never felt at risk. I didn't really think I'd end up, you know, homeless, but I just didn't right. want to have the conversation. And I remember thinking, well, what's the point of coming out if I don't have a boyfriend? Like what, like being gay oh. is having a boyfriend and I don't have a boyfriend. So I just didn't do it. So I lived in this sort of glass closet and it was always waiting to come out. And that's what we used to tell young people back then. Like, hey, you know, can you just hold off a few years mm-hmm. just so that you're in the clear? And now that seems like a foreign idea, but something that, you know, I've always, and I think about this all the time, more than I would like to. And it's back to my high school days. I remember there was a guy, I'll say his first name, Daniel. He came out as bisexual eventually our senior year and he asked me on a date and it was before I ever came in high out school as in high school okay he mm-hmm. asked me to have dinner with him because he he knew and I knew yeah. but yeah. you know whatever and I remember being so excited and scared mm-hmm. by this man mm-hmm. asking me out because it was this one like oh my god someone sees me and they like me and they want to be with me but then there was the other part I was like oh my god now I have to be gay in Tennessee mm-hmm. and am yeah. I ready for that and um, I never went on that date and I Aww. think so much back now meeting young people who went to prom with a boy who had boyfriends when they were 14 all this stuff I'm like what would my life look like if I had said yes my senior year and had a boyfriend and what would life have been like and instead I was so focused on like running away and now yeah. we're dealing with a generation where they get to stay and they're dealing with a lot of onslaught which is why those anti-LGBTQ bills are rolling through You know, the data around how coming out has changed is really interesting. There's an article in Time magazine from May of this year. It's called How Gen Z Changed Its Views on Gender. And there are some pretty crazy facts in here. So this article says 
that in late 2020 and in early 2021, Gen Z was the only U.S. generation in which a majority believed that there are more than two genders. They're the only generation in which most of them feel this way. And the article goes on to say, quote, Gen Z speaks a whole language of gender, often barely understood by their Gen X and even millennial parents, or by most people just a few short years ago. It's really rapid the way in which they're changing the conversation on gender and fluidity. And seeing that become a part of the coming out conversation, it's new and it wasn't happening for me 10 years ago, but I'm glad it's happening now. Yeah, and I want to acknowledge, you know, just as for the three of us and our journeys, there were mentors, elders, community members, and peers who created the conditions for however we look back and go, well, I maybe would have done things a little Mm -hmm. differently. We Mm -hmm. did something significant, but we didn't do it alone. You know, I remember I came out to my high school speech coach before I came out to my mother because it was just easier to talk to her about that kind of thing. And just now, Sam, as you were sharing that, for example, Gen Z's ideas about gender in contrast to other generations, I'm like, wow, shout out to the parents. Shout out to the teachers. Shout out to the booksellers, the librarians, the health teachers, the community members who have created the conditions. Like Gen Z, they're not Aphrodite being born fully formed from Zeus's head. You know, it's like, no, something has changed in terms of how we, uh, as adults, talk about, behave, and live that has created this breakthrough for young people, which I think is really what the bills and stuff was about. It's like, so it's it's not just that this anti-queer youth legislation, just to focus on that, is just about the young people. I think it's also like a backlash against the adults that Mm. have created this sea change. Yeah. Yeah. And these adults are our peers. You know, I grew up in a place where people started having kids right after graduation. Same meaning. These kids are now in high school. So it is like, I haven't thought about that until you said that, Say that the parents that are being more accepting to like the trans kids in my hometown that are there were my classmates. And maybe I, through being myself, did help because progress isn't, you know, like a light switch isn't turn on and off or whatever. It takes time. I am interested just to throw a wrench in things, you know, we've talked so positively about how the trajectory of coming out has seemed to go in a positive direction the last several years. But for me, it's been juxtaposed by a strange and creeping sexual puritanism in some corners mm-hmm. of the internet. You know, the Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco happened a few weeks ago, and there was a segment of younger queer people who basically said, It's too much sex. It's too nasty. I don't want to see that and keep it away from me. And I kind of feel like that is antithetical to the liberation that we're talking about here. And I even think about some of the shows that have become popular in the last few years showing queer life and young queer life. They're a lot less sexual than I think folks our age have been used to seeing. And I'm not sure how I feel about what seems like a blossoming of coming out, but also it's joined by a dampening of the actual expression of queer sexuality in certain spaces. You know, the idea of like, there's too much sex at Folsom, which I'm like, well, it's a, it's a literally a celebration of sexuality and (laughs) kink. That's what, that's what it's for or pride or whatever, you know, these conversations, they're confusing. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm like, I'm like uh, not, yeah. I, it's confusing to me. Yeah. Not logically confusing, I guess. I think it's, it's technology. So, hmm. so 
So I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel that what we're seeing is, one, more people of different walks of life are feeling comfortable coming out at different points in their journey. One Mm -hmm. of those points may be age. Mm-hmm. But also, more people have access to public conversations because of technology. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if in 1993, if 14-year-olds were able to come out and have access to Twitter and found out about Folsom. They'd be like, what's that? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. they might be like, that's weird. Like, what do you, you yeah. know, I just want to like hold hands with my boyfriend in the hallway. Like, I, to me, I think what we're seeing is like, just kind of like an understandable collision like that happens mm-hmm. in kind of like the marketplace of ideas when more people feel comfortable speaking up in the marketplace. Yeah. yeah. What I will say, mm-hmm. and I don't think this is actually on young people, something mm-hmm. that I think we are collectively still struggling to catch up with. It's like we're making the conditions better for people to feel comfortable coming out and speaking in their truth as they perceive it. I don't think we're doing as good of a job in terms of explaining queer history to people. Mm, Because like when you understand the history of Folsom, when you understand the history of Pride and Pride Mm -hmm. Parades and Stonewall, then I think that you know, would help you contextualize how you feel, where where you're able to go, oh, okay, interesting. Not for me, Mm -hmm. but I see why it's important to let those people celebrate their movement in their way. But if you don't have that, you're just like, Like, gross. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You don't have the context. Well, you know, thank you both for having this, like, brief i could have talked about this with you guys yeah. for a long there's time there's so but, you know, much there's, there's so, so much, much to go into and, and something that i want to share with listeners before we go to break is the writer darnell moore who we we are Love friends darnell. with darnell's amazing he is the first person that said to me when i was like 21 or 22 he said i don't like to think of it as coming out i like to think of it as a coming in mm. or a letting in oh. and that we are allowing people to see our full selves and participate in that full version of ourselves. And that kind of helped me at the time be like, wow, this isn't about, you know, always proclaiming, always having to take up space, but it's really about getting more intimate with everyone around me and being willing to share and feel safer with folks. So, you know, if there's someone in your life that you're wanting to have come out, maybe think of it as a coming in and let them do it on their own time. And that's essential and something I've really had to learn. It is up to you. you If you are forced to there come out, go. if you are outed, there I think go. that is a existential theft. It's a soul level theft that I'm not sure can ever be recovered. And, and so I think it is so important that people are made to feel, as, as Zach is saying, that like, okay, I, I'm ready to do this for myself. Yeah. As a note to all the allies who think they're being helpful, do not out people. Even if your best friend, your sister, your cousin... Don't out people. It's their journey. It's their language. It's on their own time. I don't care how yeah. much you think you're helping. Don't do it. Yeah. yeah. Amen. On that note. <laughs> well, well, with that, it's true, let's uh, yeah. take a quick break. But stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Vibe Check. Okay, to get this next conversation started, um, this is from The Politics of Reality, Essays in Feminist Theory by Marilyn Fry. This is just a short excerpt. All or almost all of that which pertains to love, most straight men reserve exclusively for other men. 
The people whom they admire, respect, adore, revere, honor, who they imitate, idolize, and form profound attachments to, whom they are willing to teach, and from whom they are willing to learn, whose respect, admiration, recognition, honor, reverence, and love they desire, those are overwhelmingly other men. In their relations with women, what passes for respect is kindness, generosity, or paternalism. What passes for honor is removal to a pedestal. From women, they want devotion, sex, and service. Heterosexual male culture is homoerotic. It is male-loving. So let's talk about Drake. <laughs> hey. and that is the Roman Empire. Shots fired. Men are always thinking there's about. The Shots the fired. <laughs> there's the transition. So Drake's new album for all the dogs. I can't which, even. Which, as Sam pointed Patches. out, was like sometimes Fitting. you need to listen to people when they're talking. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what Pitchfork has to say about the new album. Drake may have started out as a puppy dog lover with a chip on his shoulder, but his attitude seems to deepen into a jaded fuckboy sneer more and more with every album. Dogs revels in that hedonistic flair, boiling the women in his stories down to bags he buys for them and their nieces. Oof. And their nieces. That is a pretty cutting detail, Pitchfork. And the drugs they inhale in the bathroom. That's from Pitchfork. Before we get into some examples of Drake's recent antagonism of black women in particular, I would say, what, what is your what is your relationship to Drake and his music? Let, let's start there. I would say I, I was a longtime Drake lover. I had a best friend in college and right out of college. We were roommates. He loved Drake. And then he would listen to Drake all the time. And I loved listening to Drake with him. It, Drake was like the, if I went to a straight club and Drake played, it made me feel good but then over the years and a lot of that had to do with his relationship with like rihanna beyonce sure. all these his other collaborations with love. rihanna collaborat- still some of his yeah. best songs yeah yeah and he did beyonce's lemonade like he was like always seemingly supporting black women and then i would say around 2014 15 things shifted pretty mm-hmm. radically and it began to fall apart for me but on the surface i'm supposed to love my fellow mixed brother from toronto but sadly things are shifting for me sam what about you yeah i mean i think the examples of misogyny are very clear and present. Two biggest examples being the things he said about Megan the Stallion, suggesting mm-hmm. that she yeah. lied about being shot by Tory Lanez. Yep. And whatever the hell he did with Serena Williams, dissing her and her husband, he kind of has done the same to Rihanna as well. That misogyny speaks for itself, and we'll talk more about it. But I'm also intrigued about how Drake has seemed to devolve as an artist. I remember those early mixtapes. He was really good and was trying to get better. The boy could rap. And yeah. the biggest and best names in the business co-signed him because he was such a good rapper. Little Wayne signed yeah, him because he was that him, good, yeah. right? Yeah. And what bothered me before the misogyny got out of hand was just how lazy the music got. He started to take on these weird, dumb personas, like pretending to be Jamaican for a few years. And he started to make these songs where it seemed like everybody else was doing the work for him. I actually wrote about Drake in 2018 for NPR Music. And you'll remember when his song In My Feelings became a number one hit. Is that the one with Kiki? Kiki, do you Mm. love me? Mm -hmm. That one with the dance, the like Shiggy Mm -hmm. challenge, the Shiggy dance. That was the biggest example of like Drake becoming the smallest part of his success. That song, the most winning parts were everything else. It had a 
Trigger Man New Orleans Bounce Beat, which he didn't make. It's from New Orleans. It samples a Magnolia Shorty, this New Orleans rapper. It samples Lil Wayne. It has an appearance by the City Girls. And the viral dance was made by a comedian. Every part of that song that we loved was everything except Drake. And I think what we've seen with his career is that he pulls and bites and samples from other folks doing more interesting things to make his hits. But increasingly, the original work of it all, he's doing less and less of it. I think he's become a lazy artist on top of becoming a rampant misogynist. And it's kind of sad to see because at the top of his career, it was so promising because he actually is so talented. So mm -hmm. talented. Yeah, it's been interesting. Over the weekend, there's a lot of conversation about some people feeling that Drake needs to make quote-unquote grown-up music. And one, I don't... I'm like, what does, what does that even music mean? even mean in hip-hop? Yeah. Like, I, I can give me an example. But but the more relevant issue is what you're going to, Sam. It feels like what we're witnessing is a regression. Yes. Both in terms of the music itself, but also the ideas. It just like it feels like yeah. we're watching him time travel back into like mm -hmm. the worst parts of boyhood. You know, yeah. like the twelve year old He Man Woman Haters Club kind of. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. is uh -huh. so yeah. ironic because in his early days, black women rode for Drake. Yeah. Like yeah. Issa Rae was one of his biggest fans and even yeah. talked about him on Insecure, right? Uh -huh. Like yeah. he had a special relationship with women because he felt and the way he talked about romance accessible and like mm -hmm. relatable. Mm -hmm. And his discussion of romance turned to hatred. It just turned yeah. to hatred over the years. And let's talk about that misogyny because I think if you know, like I realized, I was like, damn, the last time I was really, really into a Drake song was probably nice for what? And that's 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. been a minute. Yeah. So I think mm -hmm. for those of us, for listeners who may be like casual listeners who haven't been paying a lot of attention, they might be like, um, we need some examples. Like what's, what's actually going on? So as we've mentioned, Serena Williams, in a recent song, there's also a, we would call it a sneak diss of Rihanna, which is to say you could make the case that but it's like, we're reading context. We're not fools. Megan Thee Stallion, another example of a sneak diss. And specifically, this is important. He accused Megan Thee Stallion of lying about being like, shot come on. by Tory Lanez. Come on. A court has found this man guilty. Uh -huh. He is in the yeah. jail now. Yeah. And, and just... so one, I just want to point out, one, we know that she was shot by Tory Lanez. Two, Drake has not at least publicly apologized to her. And I think that's really significant. And three, could you imagine if Drake was shot by another rapper? Like, we'd never hear the end of that would be a five never. album yeah. saga from this man yeah. so the nerve you know what I mean but also just in the last few days with this new album some of the songs coming out Here's one verse from the new album where he takes shots, not just at Esperanza Spalding, the, to say that she's an accomplished jazz yeah. artist is an understatement, but also Michelle Obama, quote, four Grammys to my name, a hundred nominations. Esperanza Spalding was getting all the praise. I'm trying to keep it humble. What did I tell you about people saying they're humble? They're not What humble. did I tell you <laughs> literally humble. last week? Yeah. I'm trying to keep it humble. I'm trying to keep it gracious. Who gives a fuck Michelle Obama put you on her playlist? Then we never hear from you again like you was taken. So we should clarify a few things here. He's referencing the year in which Esperanza Spalding won Best New Artist at the Grammys over 2011, him. over a decade Get over ago. It. It, 12 years Move ago. On. And then he's mad that after she won, Michelle Obama put her on a playlist. And then he says that she's nowhere to be found now. It's like, 
just because you're not following jazz doesn't mean she's not successful. She is the biggest, most bankable jazz artist on the planet right now. Like, get over yourself, Drake. Just because the producers Drake cleans to for life to find <laughs> samples better than his actual lyrics, just because they aren't interested in Esperanza Spalding, yeah. doesn't, doesn't mean, mean the rest of the us thing. don't love her music. Yeah. yeah. But I think, like, what, yeah. like, what we're getting at through all of this is is really, I think, surmising this one lyric that The Atlantic wrote about two a few years ago, which is he wrote or says, I blow a half a million on you hoes. I'm a feminist. And Drake is one of those Ugh. rappers that likes to bring up feminism a lot in his work. Oh my God. He brings up sexuality a lot and women empowerment. But his, his ideas around feminism are directly tied to him as the patriarch and him as the financier of their life. And as long as they stay in line, yes. you take the Birkin, you take the money, you come on his jet. As long as you are subservient to him, then you are fine. But if you do not find yourself subservient to him, Allah. Brianna or all these other women, he will lash out yeah. and try to destroy you. And that is misogyny. It is a retrograde, dare I say, like pimp mentality. Yes. He sees these women as there for his sexual gratification. And if they give him that, he gives them nice things. You've even seen on this last tour, he, in this really creepy way, has been collecting bras women throw on stage at the concerts, asking them to oh, throw yeah, and more. He, he like and took the whole picture of them, like them. organized. He had a staff. He had a staff lay them out and took a picture in front of hundreds of bras. It looked like, I was like, why is Drake in an Amazon fulfillment center? Like, what's going? It's such a weird That's photo. Victoria's it was like hundreds right of yeah. bras neatly lined up. You it's know, creepy. Like, he, is, he is in equal parts disrespectful to women, but also incredibly immature. Like, are you 12? Speaking of which, it's striking to me that the only high-profile example that has surfaced for me, and obviously I'm not, I'm not deep in Drake world, so I'm sure there are examples that just aren't reaching me. But in terms of a high-profile woman celeb that he has a positive relationship with, let's go back to uh, when Millie Bobby Brown, the actor from Stranger oh, yeah. Things, was 14 years old and mentioned offhandedly during an interview, "Oh yeah, I met Drake." backstage at one of his concerts and we text all the time. He's he's kind of like a mentor. He gives me mm. dating advice. Mm. That's literally Red the flag. only example I yep. can think of. And it's like, why are you giving a 14-year-old at the time dating advice? That doesn't feel great. Doesn't feel right. But yeah. also it speaks to Zach's point about it seems like there has to be this hierarchy, which is what Marilyn Fry is talking about, right? The only way a lot of heterosexual men who are deep in misogyny can interact warmly with women, there has to be this hierarchy maintained. Yeah. yeah. And also, just to take it back to the, oh my God, Drake's so immature of it all. So Joe Budden, former successful rapper, now successful podcaster. He was the guy who mentioned the grown-up music comment. Yeah, yeah, he made the comment like, why is Drake still making music for quote-unquote kids. I don't care to litigate that part of the debate, but I will point out part of Drake's response, which just speaks to how immature this band really is. So the video of Joe Budden making this critique of Drake is posted to Instagram. Drake hops in the comments, has this like three-paragraph-long diatribe, and he ends it by saying of Joe Budden, if you need to put it in simpler terms, I own a 767. He owns a modest house in the 973 and flies first class on special occasions. What? 
First of all, he did not. First yes, of all, why? I was like nine seven three. I'm like, why is Newark catching strays? Leave us alone. I have a nine seven three area code. Leave us alone. But this is a great example. This is actually great. And also, I just want to say, Joe Budden is trash too. I hope both teams lose. <laughs> yeah, but Joe it Budden's is significant bad. because, and this is what I was actually talking about with Doja Cat. These people are savvy, and so in the same way that Doja Cat's interview on Hot Ones is coming out. This week, at the specific point that she needs to redirect focus, and I think mm-hmm. that's what she's going to use this interview to do, this felt like another example. This Because, like, his lines, like, you only fly first class on special occasions. Honestly, that's better than any Drake lyric I've heard in a minute. Yes, if he was <laughs> making songs line. with this. So it's like, yeah, it was like, okay, you pick someone that everyone hates. Joe Budden is a jerk. And you were like, oh, this is a perfect example for me to kind of give people something else to talk about than all of this misogyny. I'm not new to the game. I see what you're doing, Drake. I see what you're doing. Syed said, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. <laughs> Think of it. This is just a question I want all of us, listeners included. Why is misogyny, why is misogynoir so profitable? There's mm. a reason. If we know anything about Drake, we know he cares about money. If this was affecting his bottom line, he would have stopped doing it no, a long it time ago. Yeah. But in fact, he's increased it. And so I think it's a it's a disturbing question if you try to answer it. Why does it make him more money to be so hateful towards women, but especially black women? That's yeah. it. While sampling black women in his music all the time. Hello. Well, using, yes. Like and their images Lauren Hill, and albums. City Girls, oh, yeah. Scissors on the newest album. He loves mm. to have black women on the mic with him or doing the work for him. Oh, another example, using that embarrassing photo of Holly Berry for Slime You Out, even after she was like, please don't do it. And he just did it anyway. It's just, Mm -hmm. wow. Wow. Well, we're going to take another break. You know, it's hard for us. Our our pop girlies... You know, we're, we're holding on to a wing, a prayer, and a choice of on. You know? It's no, just... it is not hard. <laughs> it is not hard if you stay true to the North Star that is Beyonce. So, you know, just oh, stay there and you're true. fine. You know what, though? She was uh, oh, God. effing around with <laughs> Tiffany's blood diamonds, so none of them are safe. Woo. None of them are perfect. Let's, Let's go move break. on. Let's, <laughs> take break. Let's take a break and pray. Listeners, we're back. Before we end the show, as we always do, we're going to each share something that's helping us keep our vibes right. This week, I'll go last. Which of my sisters wants to go first? I'll go first. All right, do it, Zach. What you got? So what I got, I have a gift for listeners. I think it's a gift. So a dear friend of mine, his name's Grant Legan. He's a really fantastic photographer. Some of you may have already followed him on Instagram. He's been around for a minute and quite popular. He launched an underwear line. And I typically don't love... You know, small business goals. Yeah, like I know. I was like, when he told me about it, I was like, brilliant, because he works a lot. His photos are very, you know, intimate and there's a lot of skin in them. They're very sensual. So, him launching underwear made sense. And um, he's been working on them forever. And then I finally got a pair. And I was like, I will not talk about them unless I love them. And I put them on. And let me tell you, have you seen those um, leggings on TikTok that all the girls wear for their butts? Have you seen oh, these? yeah, they were really big like a year ago. Really big? Yeah. These, I'm going to say, are like Stop. the underwear version. They do wonders for your butt. And so if you're looking for new underwear... Is Zach walking around I his highly... apartment just bam, bam, <laughs> boom, like, boom? Look at boom, <laughs> boom. Got to keep a man some way. So anyway... <laughs> so, oh, okay. I'm looking you, them up. They look nice. They're really nice. They just launched... And they're pretty inclusive. You know, his campaign has all different gender identities and all these amazing people in it. But if you're interested, check it out. Wear Creo, 
So where and then Creo is C-R-E-O dot com. And if you're VibeCheck listener, you get 15% off for free shipping if you use the promo code VibeCheck. And that wasn't a paid ad. That's just because I love it so much. So that's my vibe rec. Buy underwear. Underwear's wonderful. Invest in it. <laughs> oh, makes you feel good. Wonderful. <laughs> underwear's wonderful. Saeed, what's your rec? My recommendation this week is a poetry collection that just came out. The title is Pig by Sam Sachs. I'm holding up the cover. Well, Sam and Zach can see it, but it's a very cute cover. Sam is a lovely person, queer writer out of California. I've gotten to, particularly when I was living in San Francisco, I think that's how I got to to know Sam and their work and just a huge fan. And so I'm going to read one of my favorite poems from the new book. As you might imagine, a book called Pig. There are pigs throughout the book, and I have learned so much, and it's such an interesting muse for a poetry collection. This poem is titled, Portrait of a Drag Queen with a Pig Nose, Oakland, California, 2019. Behind the gas station, the queen begins facing away from the crowd. Low-cut back, floor-length gown, pulses a knee to the music, arm on hip believable human silhouette. I should know this song. The rest of the audience sings along, lit by a rented spot. Bride to tires and oil. Centuries pass as she turns slow as a planet with all of us dying on it. The reveal beneath the veil, her silicone snout, scarred and profound. Hybrid thing, elegant bipedal, terrifying. Think monster, but make it fashion. Think what monsters go into making fashion. We gasp at the temporary godhead standing before us, the promise of all our science inside one passable prosthetic. In a laboratory in California, scientists inject human stem cells into a pig fetus, and for four weeks, it lives. Miss Vice... You are the perfected form of all our darkest literatures smiling. You are the language we've been looking for when we say we need a new language. Darkness dragged, bathed in light. The song ends. She sniffs, collects her tips. Love it. That is from the book Pig by Sam Sachs. Ah, so good. Shout out to the drag queens. I was going to try to make a pig noise, but... How do they? Don't do that. <laughs> they, that's. I wish people could see Sam's face. Right yeah, now. the like, face like, really. <laughs> something I learned from Sam's book is that armies used to travel with their own stable of pigs, so that oh, they really? could, you know, cook and eat the pigs while, oh. wherever they were. But pigs are, you know, they're such industrious and resilient animals, and so the yeah. pigs would often like outlive and outbreed the war. And so the war would kind of move on, but these pigs, often brought by colonizing armies, would stay behind and kind of change the natural environment. Wow. It's like really... It's a a fascinating book. I like the idea of a poet drilling into a specific idea. He's looking at the etymology. He's looking at the history. Mm -hmm. He draws from Babe, the movie and the story at one point. He's drawing from mythology. You know, it's really interesting. So you're like, oh, pig, that's cute. And of course, you know, from gay sex culture, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fun. Layers of bacon. Layers of bacon. Triple cooked, twice cooked pork. Okay. I love it. Sam, what's your recommendation? 
I want to recommend a novel that was recently sent to me from Riverhead Books, Family Meal. It's the latest from Brian Washington, who is the author of Memorial and Lot. And I like this book a lot. I'm holding it up right now. I usually read a lot more nonfiction than fiction. But when I dig into fiction, I want it to feel succulent. I want it to feel full. And this book feels that way. It's really heavy. It's about death. It's about trauma. It's about coping. But it's written quite beautifully. And you can fall into this thing before you know it. And I'm thoroughly enjoying it. What's the plot? Can you give us a taste? A queer man who is in a loving, wonderful relationship with a man named Kai. Kai dies tragically and suddenly. Mm. And the hero of the book then has to rebuild his life. He moves away from where he was to go be in Houston with some friends of Kai. And he's trying to get things back together, but he cannot stop seeing Kai's ghost. Mm. And the ghost speaks to him. And it is sad and beautiful. Sad and beautiful. Brian Washington loves like a a family trauma that requires you to go somewhere else. Yeah. Also, Brian Washington loves Houston. Uh, His first book, the short story collection, Lot, one of my favorite books of the last few years. And um, it's it's all around different neighborhoods in Houston. And that's Memorial Begins in Houston as well. It's like a H-Town girl. And he references Houston so beautifully and specifically in this book. I recommend it. Yeah. All right. Listeners, let us know what's keeping your vibe right this week. Give us your recommendations. Email us at any time at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Also, reminder, we're having our very first Vibe Check book club episode very soon. We are reading Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond. Get the book. Read the book. Join us. He'll be answering all of our questions very soon. And a note, don't get it on Amazon. Go to an independent bookstore or a library. How about that? Yeah, or bookshop.org is a great alternative to Amazon. Yeah, I've been it's been really cool. People are already getting the book. They're getting it, yeah. One of our listeners and friends, Cortez, was <laughs> texting me this morning. He was like, I was crying on the subway reading. Yeah. Because it shook. I mean, it's such a smart yeah. book, but yeah. his examples really kind of hit home. Yeah. And those examples work because he spends time with these people in poverty. And they're not just sources for his book. He calls them friend, right? He embeds in their lives with them. And the detail that he can give of their lives in this book is really incredible. Get the book. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow this show on your favorite podcast listening platform and tell a friend. And if you want to leave us rating and a review, that helps us out as well. It does. And a huge thank you to our producer, Chantal Holder, engineer Sam Kiefer and Brandon Burns, and Marcus Hom for our theme music and sound design. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Norbichi at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. We love you all. You get a Snickers. You get a Snickers. You get a Snickers. <laughs> um, and again, we want to hear from you. Don't forget, you can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com and keep in touch with us on Instagram at The Ferocity, at Sam Sanders, and at Stack Staff. I love a cute blue sky moment. I've been meeting more blue sky users out in the open. And, that's and I love fun. that for you. And I love that for you. I still can't go over there. Okay. Um, But of course, we love it when you use the hashtag VibeCheckPod. Stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday. Bye. Bye.
Stitcher.